y'all, I'm Heather. I am a wife and a mother and an insurance agency owner, a friend and a PTA advocate. I am so excited to talk about all of the things that I find most precious here within our community, within our lives and within our faith, friendships and relationships. Here on Heather's Most Precious. So do you feel like your passions personally align with your passions professionally? I do, very much so, yeah. Okay, expand on that for me. Yeah, I hold deep-seated beliefs about uh, public education, I guess, and about what public schools can offer the world and offer the future of our society and our citizens. And so um, the same ways that I personally would love to see my own children grow and thrive, um, the ways that I personally believe in the ability of all people to grow and develop and sort of never stop working on ourselves, never stop changing. Uh, schools embody so much of that. Um, the uh, This great big developmental continuum that kids grow along from the time they enter as five-year-olds, uh, barely knowing what school is till the time they leave us, headed off to middle school. It's just one big representation of that growth and development, but also how we instill in our children uh, the very best of us of what we want for the future of our society to look like. So I get to do that every day. Absolutely. That is, that's awesome. I, I think often when, when it is that big of a passion, it is going to carry over and, and kind of filtrate through everything that you do, which is, mm -hmm. which is amazing. And mm -hmm. um, now y'all are hearing from Mrs. Hannah Hudson, um, who is an elementary principal um, here within Hamilton County. Um, Hannah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, yeah, so um, I am. I started my career as a teacher and um, eventually became a school leader. And so I am a mom to two boys who are five and two. Um, I'm originally from Memphis and taught in Chicago and outside of Boston as well um, before life brought us to Chattanooga. And so I have the privilege of serving as the principal at East Brainerd Elementary, which is uh, the largest elementary school in Hamilton County, um, a very diverse elementary school, um, and just a great, big, fun place to work every day. Absolutely. Now, you've mentioned that you have worked in other very large cities mm -hmm. and also have diverse populations and communities. What is the biggest difference between somewhere like here in Tennessee and even the other side versus places that you have been outside? Sure. Um, well, in, uh, in all the places that I've worked, you have kind of the, the continuum of, um, say, poverty to wealth, um, the continuum of schools that are well-resourced to not as well-resourced, um, students who are brand new to the country and learning English, you know, students who are gifted, just kind of the... The spectrum there. Um, the difference when I was in Chicago public schools is it's such a massive, massive system. Um, all the parts just work together kind of differently, and um, you know relationships are spread differently uh, because it's such a big setting. Um, but then I worked in when I worked in um, outside in Massachusetts, outside of Boston and Salem, Massachusetts tiny, tiny district um, where, you know, five or six elementary schools, you pretty much know um, everybody in the district, really small town feel, but still all those kind of the continuum of all kinds of kids, all kinds of families. And so what I've loved about uh, where I am now is the real like midsize feel. It's kind of Goldilocks almost, you know, yeah. like a Venmo's real big, Venmo's real small. 
And what's neat about being in the county, again, kind of the diverse um, types of families, types of communities, it serves all, but is small enough to be resourced for those things and small enough that I feel like you can know um, the people who are there to help out with equity, the people who are there to help out with social emotional learning, the people who are there to help out with bilingual learners. You know, you've got all these different departments because you have enough um, broad types of populations that we serve, but it's small enough that you can actually reach out to those people and know them and, and get support from them. And so I've, I've found it to be this real neat sort of size community to have, um, you know, still all the issues present that are in most districts in public education right now, but to also have the resources to, to help with that. Which is a big deal. Yeah. Without resources, right? If we are so we limited. We feel really on our own, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned being in the classroom. Did Were you elementary? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So I taught fifth grade. Um, it's still kind of one of my favorite grades. It was this, I think it's this age where they, I always said, they still want to please the teacher, but they're starting to form opinions of their own. And so <laughs> it was this, this nice kind of, you're still a child, you're still in elementary school, you still get to have really special memories and everything, but even the content was richer. When you're talking fifth grade social studies, it's a little bit more problematic. There's some drama and conflict to it that you can get kids involved in. Um, so I loved that. I taught in um, a fifth grade gifted bilingual program as my first job. And so I had students who had tested it from a gifted standpoint, from an aptitude test when they were four or five. Uh, but they were all bilingual learners, so um, wow. native Spanish speakers. Um, and then throughout kind of working all the way up to fifth grade, honestly, progress at different points. So I had a really wide range, 33 kids in my first class as a first-year teacher, oh. and um, but a really, a really great experience to, to learn a lot. And so um, from there, I've done a couple different things, but always stayed kind of around that, that age. Yeah. Okay. Now, is this always the dream, administration, leadership? No. <clears throat> I Well, when I was in college, I was actually a, started as a graphic design and creative writing major. I wanted to have my own line of greeting cards. Really? Uh, before, there was so many like cute lines of greeting cards. Right. <laughs> um, I, I knew it was coming, clearly. And so I wanted to do that. Um, but I was at a, a Jesuit university in Chicago that was really service-oriented and really like get out in the community um, you know, the problems of the city or the problems of all of us, you know. And so I ended up in this a group where every Thursday afternoon we'd go for four hours and we would um, head to the west side of Chicago and tutor at an all-boys uh, Jesuit middle school on the west side. And so um, I quickly learned through that 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 required a lot of creativity I, to, to get these voices, do their homework or to understand something or explain it differently, um, you know, some motivation and I came to see that education was um, really creative, but also had just incredible social impact um, mm-hmm. for um, a community, but also for um, a single family or an individual, the way that education could change the course of your life um, or pull you out of generational poverty. And so knowing that was kind of what shifted me toward education. Um, so in that way, I didn't even know I was thinking about being a school leader because I actually wasn't even thinking about being a teacher. And right. then once I was a teacher, um, I... I don't know, something in me always just wants something to be the best, the most efficient. And so I had worked in a couple different schools and um, you didn't ask for this story, but we'll, no, we'll yeah. go there. When I, um, one of the schools I was teaching in uh, was in a temporary location while their school was being renovated. And 
I was the ESL teacher and our ESL students, um, the only spot they really had for us was the landing of a stairwell. And so um, it was on the way to the attic. So it wasn't one that was frequently used, but it was still a landing of a stairwell. And so I made that my classroom and I painted a chalkboard wall and I put up curtains and I had bookshelves and an easel and I put, you know, think uh, vocabulary words along like the, the front facing part of the stairs that you could see as it went oh, up to cool. the attic. I just tried everything I could to make it like a classroom because that was that creative piece in me. But also I knew the message that it communicated to our students that they were almost like physically literally relegated away from everybody, you know, not to be seen or heard mm -hmm. and what that could feel like to them or even some of the teachers who were like, they, they can't do this assignment. Can you just take them? And, um, and it, it just, this like justice thing rose up in me of this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we can do better. We can do better than this for kids. Um, we can do better than this for entire communities. And, um, so that, that's what kind of pushed me to apply for, um, a school leader program. And then, um, was surprised to have gotten in and got to spend a year getting my master's in school leadership and getting a principal license along with that as a principal intern for that year, still in the community where I had been working in, where I taught on the, in the uh, ESL on the landing, um, got to be a principal intern at a different school there. And so um, that that's kind of what pushed me into it. And then it's a really actually humbling thing to get on the other side of it and think that you have the power to change maybe more things than you do or just, just how tough it is to get it right. And so um, I have been on that journey s since then uh, to being a school leader and just trying to do our best every day for kids. Which is should be, right, what the goal is mm -hmm. um, and kind of the underlying. Now, are there requirements for leadership and um, regardless of where you are in the States, are they pretty similar? They're pretty similar such that when you um, get principal licensure, t similar to teacher licensure, it's a similar enough program whether you go to undergrad in California or North Dakota that uh, there's a lot of um, reciprocity with states for licensure for things like that. And so, um, yeah, I, I, from there, I went back to Illinois um, and then came back to Tennessee after that. So, yeah. Very good. I love that. So what would a day in the typical life, I know they're probably very, very day by day, but what does that typically look like from your desk? It starts with some of the just immediacy of the day. Um, just a school of this size, it's inevitable that somebody got sick overnight, mm -hmm. their kid got sick overnight. And so we usually start the day coordinating with one of our assistant principals around coverage. Um, what grade level might we have to split a class in? Can we move the Spanish sub to the art class? Can we move this, you know, ex-ed assistant to fourth grade? And so we make sure that everybody's set for the day and we really try to hold priorities in that, I would say, of what we value the most in terms of um, consistency for students, consistency for adults. Um, so it starts there, and then I uh, usually make a morning lap that um, as soon as the bell rings, I send off my own kid to kindergarten and say, have a great day, and then make my way down to uh, car line and bus line and stand outside for about as long as I can take, depending on the weather, um, and just try to see as many kids as I can to say good morning, um, you know, wave to some of the parents, and then try to make my round to, to have a quick touch point with every teacher to just pass through their hallway um, and so get to say good morning, check in with this person, you know, how's your mom? <laughs> Welcome back um, as I make my way down the hall and then um, finish up upstairs, come downstairs, come back to my office. We do morning announcements and then 
the day is filled with probably a little bit of white space on my calendar for whatever happens that I, I didn't schedule, mm. things that we have to be reactive to during the day, and then a little bit of things that I have scheduled to be proactive for things that we um, are working on. So whether that's observing teachers, um, meeting with assistant principals, meeting with community partners, or um, kind of whatever is on the docket, uh, having our announcements tight for knowing what's coming up, what do we need to let parents know about, what do we need to let teachers know about, trying to keep tight communication, and then responding maybe to um, any of the, I don't know, 70, 75 emails I got that day. That's so awesome. <laughs> Try to give a little bit of, uh, like I said, white space for some of those things. And then I end the day at Carline, where we try to be Chick-fil-A worthy of uh, efficiency and um, getting kids out both safely and um, quickly because the adults want to finish on time so that they can go home mm -hmm. to their own families. But um, every day, it, that's a big operation every day, honestly, is all of the buses and all of the um, cars and everybody getting out of here in a really quick amount of time for the about 1,200 kids that it is. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that there are some schools which, um, and of course, day-to-day -day could, could prevent um, an administrator from being visible. Mm -hmm. Now, that is something that personally I have seen in my kids' schools sometimes. And now, thankfully, both of them seem to be thriving. Is that something that has always been important for you mm -hmm. to be visible, for people mm -hmm. to know who you are and, and that you are available if, they, if you were needed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think every principal, kind of the job also fits their personality or they tend to, you know, put their, their time and their energy toward what they think is most important, which is a little different for every school and every leader. Um, but I am just a relational person by nature. And so I, I do get energy from being around other people. Um, this morning, even there's a couple of things that put me in a bit of a mood. And I said, I, I need to get across the hall into the, te <laughs> the testing room where today we're te checking out benchmark tests where I could be around people, just be around, um, you know, the work of it for a minute and kind of reset my, myself. And so, um, yeah, I love to be out there to, for the kids to know me, to know the kids, to be out there among the teachers um, and make sure that, you know, if somebody had something they wanted to chat about, they don't have to come down here and find me and maybe the door's closed, maybe I'm with somebody, but that they get a chance to, you know, just have a, a moment of FaceTime even to check in. And so um, that is something that's important to me is to just be out there and uh, be visible, yeah. Absolutely. Now, even with the students, how important is it for you and your team to have a good relationship and a, an approachable relationship with the students? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very important. They, um, you know, trust us. They and their families both trust us with something very, very big and very humbling and, you know, in their education. And so they um, they bring a lot of joy to it. They sure do. But they they tend to know us and I don't know all of them. You know, that's tough. At my school in Memphis, it was much smaller and I stood at the front door every day and could greet every kid by name. And I can't do that here yet. Still working on it. You know, every time um, someone comes up to me at Panera, now I know your name because you came up to me at Panera, you uh -huh. know, or now I know, I've, I've known your name already for something else. And so um, trying to know as many of them as possible, but they, um, they write us really sweet notes and, you know, it, you can tell the things that they care about, about, you know, making our school happy or keeping mm -hmm. our school safe. Um, or that they like my hair, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> the most those. important thing. <laughs> I know, things like that. Yeah. I love that. Now, what are some ways that obviously probably a, a big part of your role is supporting the teachers here mm -hmm. and, and your staff? Um, what does that look like? What is one of your favorite ways that you are able to support them? Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, a big part of the job is observation and feedback, but I would say um, that's one of my favorite parts of the job is sitting down with a teacher after an observation to just reflect because I do think that you, um, any of us, if we're going to grow and change in something in our lives, it has to be a conclusion that we've also arrived at on our, on our own. You know, it doesn't matter just if somebody else or some other data point tells us we need to grow and change. We have to also believe that if it's going to be meaningful or authentic in any way. And so I enjoy those conversations with teachers to just like ask questions and get to reflect and um, get to bring in things they maybe haven't thought about that I saw or that I've seen in another classroom. But um, I, th I think any of us, if we're not stopping and reflecting, then probably our growth is stunted. And so if there's not many other times where we really get to slow down and do that, you know, I enjoy that. Um, I enjoy doing that with our leaders, even to stop and reflect. Um, you know, whenever we have some sort of big event or like a mini little crisis or something, and we do a thing called an after action review, you know, it's basically having lots of after action reviews to say, um, where did we get it right? Where did we not get it right? What should we do next time? What do we need to have in place? And how that just helps us be better in every way, um, you know, which we should want. So, of course, of course. Now, with teachers, is there something that you could say, maybe a piece of advice that you would be able to give? I know observations are probably intimidating and scary, even if you don't intend for them to be. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you would say to someone who may be in a position where they're a little bit nervous about an upcoming observation? Mm. <laughs> um, to just be open to growth, you know? I think um, the more that we can view ourselves, sometimes we say this little thing that I've picked up from other places of um, good, better, best, never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best, which is just a growth mindset chant, right? It's about like, you're not there yet, you're developing, you're growing and changing, no matter how many years you've been teaching, there's something better you could be doing, some way you can improve. Um, and that's not to, you know, make any of us feel discouraged, that should feel like, um, I don't know, a, a an affirming thing to look around the world and know that everything is growing and changing. None of us are, you know, done with where we are. And so I would hope that any teacher who sits down to that is is just um, looking forward to reflecting and being open to saying, um, you know, where might I improve? Um, what could be a little bit different? Um, any, any of those things. So just being open to that, you know. Yes. There's something within our society, though, that sometimes accountability and sometimes that challenge to to grow, even if it's just that one percent, feels like an attack. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know what that is. Um, mm -hmm. I have often um, tried to figure that out. But I think how you said that, that little phrase was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, just that it's uh, almost a care ability, right? You are trying to care. Mm -hmm. um, and by, by their growth, they are able to more effectively help their students or maybe gather the one um, that it has fallen astray, whatever yeah. that looks like. Yeah. Within your day-to-day, -day, are, um, are there challenges that you face that seem to be new or do all of them seem to be pretty routine by this point? That's a good question. I think... It's always new because it's a different kid. It's mm -hmm. a different family. It's a different teacher relationship. It, it's never quite the same. Um, there definitely were some things that were just, you know, straight up new that I remember telling a mentor, like, okay, my principal bingo card is getting pretty filled up. I, you know, I've, <laughs> I've had one of these. I've now had one of these. I've now had one of these. And, you know, feeling like 
<clears throat> in general, the more one does, the more one can do. Like if you've, if you've tried it, then the next time you're a little bit more prepared, a little bit stronger in it. Um, so there's a little bit of that of being able to know like what I've seen work before or, you know, what we've tried in the past. But um, still, there's enough new and fresh, I think, to, to each thing that we have to stop and say what worked before might not necessarily work now. You know, challenges that have worked for or things that have worked for other schools with their challenges might not work for us with our size. But we um, we still have things that we want to try for, you know, how to make a big school feel small. And so um, it's, it's never the same, but it is it is always new. But still, we have we have good things we can lean on from our past. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, within the classroom setting, do you miss being at the front of the classroom or do you find a lot of joy with where you are? I find a lot of joy where I am working with adults. And I, I the part that misses the relationships with students is what I guess gets me to still just be involved with the life mm -hmm. of students and to know a lot of them, to pop into their classrooms, to be in there during lunch, to celebrate them at student of the month assemblies, whatever the thing is, to... Um, to still know them and have relationships, but I, I enjoy the challenge of, of, you know, working with adults or trying to shepherd a whole school community to, to be its best, um, mostly because I just think it's really, really important work, you know. Um, if ever there was a time that um, we weren't maybe already appreciating schools, I do think COVID opened up for a lot of people what in, in my mind, what, how much of a social safety net schools are, how much schools catch um, the kid who needs OT, the, kids who's hear, the kid whose hearing isn't great, the kid um, who needs a referral to DCS, you know, just the number of things that schools catch. Um, the child who's hungry and gets two meals here every day, you know, and so there were all these things that now weren't getting caught almost because schools weren't open. And it it just confirmed, even in my own mind, if I knew it a little bit before, I really, really knew it after COVID, how many, just how many ways a school serves its society. And um, it just kind of in me like reaffirmed, you know, my calling and what I want to do such that when we were transitioning, we were moving here from Memphis and I was kind of like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to go straight back into the same thing where I was being a principal? Do I want to do something a little different? You know, there's all kinds of jobs now. And, you know, I had a friend who really pushed me to think about what's most, you know, life-giving to me and what's most important to me and that I derive energy and purpose from. And it really is just being school-based. You know, it's being in a school. I love the life of a school year. I love the way that every year we get to reset and change. Um, one of our community superintendents who recently, or at the end of last year, she was sharing, she was before this, like, like a career chemist. And she was saying, you never get the chance when you're just a chemist to like stop and say, how will we do this again next year? What should we change? What should be different? You know, and in education, that's such a gift that every year we get a season to pause, to get creative, to say, you know, what should we tweak? What do we want to keep the same? What went well this year? And then we started all over again. And then you know, not every job gets that. And um, I, I find that really energizing and galvanizing that we have such seasons, such distinct seasons of the school year, I think, that um, that kind of mark the time for us, you know. So um, I don't remember the question that got me. No, you're five right. different directions <laughs> there from um, COVID to um, wherever I descended. But um, yeah, but that's amazing. <laughs>
Is there something that you are just incredibly proud, talking about seasons of change, mm-hmm. that you're incredibly proud that y'all have been able to accomplish, you and your team, this year? Um, so we, uh, we got to reimagine some, some of the ways that we staff our school this year. And so that was, that was fun to do as a new leader here to say, what are the challenges we want to try and solve with this? You know, where do we want, what's on our wish list? Have we, what have we always said? Well, if we only had a blank, then we could do this in our school. And so uh, one of them has been if we only ever had just more parking, we could do a lot more. But <laughs> um, we stayed with staffing. And so that's been fun is, was to kind of hire for a lot of those, um, build a team, build a community, try and like insert those into the school. Uh, almost to grow even while we were trying to go smaller. So we were trying to um, kind of, you know, chop it up and go deeper. We have um, just in general when things are like wide and shallow versus narrow and deep, we've, we've been mindful of that just in relationships here. And so um, we tried to add more people, but also keep things small, keep people connected, keep people feeling part of a team, help those teams gather often enough to feel like you're part of something but also know enough about the big mission to feel like you're part of something big here. And so we've, um, I'm proud of, of the work we've done this year and how, um, how some of those have folded into the school and how some of them where it's been tough that we've really tried to say, this is tough, you know, what can we do about it? What's, what's working and what's not and what are our ideas? And um, the solution is in the room. You know, there's, um, I told a team last week, I was like, no one out there is thinking about East Brainerd and what, right. what it's going to solve. The only people thinking about how we're going to improve East Brainerd is us right here mm-hmm. in this room. And so if we're not thinking of it, you know, no one else is. And so the solution's in the room. Like, let's get, let's get creative. Um, let's try things. You know, if we, if we think it's upon us to just try something, let's try it. So, um, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, as you've transitioned with different schools and different leadership opportunities that you've, you've been given, what are some of the most vital steps that you would say one would need to take when you are transitioning into a new role? Uh, one of them, I, I feel like if I gave a first commandment of leadership, it would, it would be know thyself, you know, to really know your values, the things that drive you know the things that are priorities to you, um, what you what you hold dearly, because we all make decisions all day long out of our values. And um, if you're not realizing which things are the things that you value the most, then I think it's hard to be mindful of how those decisions are interpreted by others who, who value something else differently. And so being able to, to know those things is great. Um, but knowing yourself and knowing what you're getting into, I think very much going in with um, both a sense of curiosity and a sense of possibility. I think if you go in with questions as a genuine learner, really wanting to know, really taking that inquiry stance and going, hmm, wonder how we got to this. What happened here? What should we do about this? Um, Versus having all the answers, you know? Um, And then I think from that stance of inquiry, you really have to move it to a sense of possibility. I think um, I had a friend who used to um, always list that on her agendas for her meetings for what to bring was a sense of possibility. And the phrase stuck with me because it, to me, it embodied um, hope, which is one of my core values of just like, um, if, if, if we can't do this, then who can? Like this, sometimes schools do feel like an impossible task. Um, but, you know, we serve whoever walks in our door. Um, and they're, uh, we try to meet their needs holistically. But um, 
you know, I, I hope that our students feel a sense of possibility about their work, that they have what it takes to, to do that math problem, to figure out what that text says, um, that our teachers feel like they have a sense of possibility, that they have what it takes to, to do the job and to do it well and to do it for a long time, you know, and that as a school, we feel like, like we can do this. This is an attainable thing for us and not just that we've been faced with this impossible task of a mountain to climb, you know, because um, it is both challenging and rewarding. But I think if we don't have hope and that shared sense of commitment and possibility, then it makes it all of it harder. And so mm-hmm. um, those are some of the the main things. Yeah. Yeah. As we have heard from kind of your lens, from the principal's um, desk and, and what your day-to-day looks like, the, the responsibilities of your role. How can, how can we help parents? What is something that you would love for parents to know coming from your side? I guess that, you know, I want parents to be rooting for us. I want parents to bring us their concerns. I want parents to um, share with us their, um, their thoughts about things. Um, I... I guess what I'd most want them to know is that we share the same goals, you know, that we're, we're on the same team in a sense. You know, we, we both want this to be a safe school and that your, your child experienced an instance where things didn't feel safe because two students were kind of chaotically going at each other. Like, I don't like that. I don't want that for your child. I don't want that for any of our kids. Um, you know, we share the same goals around what we want your kid to learn, you know, and how we want them to leave this school year. And so whatever the thing is that, you know, we... Um, just we we want the same things out of this place and we want the same things for your kid. Um, but that, you know, that is your 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 child is, you know, your world in a lot mm-hmm. of sense, you know, like they are the future of of you. You know, I know that as my own kids here of just the, the things that you want for them in their life, um, the things that, you know, that they have to experience probably at school, some of their First things without you, navigating conflict without you, advocating for themselves without you. You know, you want that for all of them. But um, they're both, you know, your, your one single priority, which we try to keep in check when we're trying to balance the, the needs of, of the many, you know, and the, how to keep everybody safe right. and, and what's best for the most amount of students, you know. And I'll give an example. Last year, we had a grade level where we had a couple of teachers on leave of absence, and, um, you know, it was medical things, it was unavoidable things, it was, um, but it's what we were facing. And we had a reading and a math teacher both out, and then we had two other teams of reading and math teachers. And so what we ended up doing was switching those two-person teams to be a trio and giving the reading and math teachers that we did have now taught three classes instead of two. And it meant that the classes that were without a teacher now got a consistent reading and a consistent math teacher. And if you're the parent of a kid in the class who had that consistent reading and math teacher all along, my kid now gets less time with them because mm-hmm. they're teaching three blocks. And that might feel some kind of way. Um, but I'm also mindful of the other, you know, 50 children who are not getting any reading and math and the promise that we've made to their parents about what they will get. Mm-hmm. And so trying to make those tough decisions around how to get the best for the most amount of kids and knowing that um, my commitment to those parents is the same as my commitment to, to the kid in that class and, and to try and say, how can we serve everybody well? Um, how can we make sure that everybody gets reading and everybody gets math? And, um, you know, those are sometimes tough things to try and help everybody be on board with. But it, it in the end is, you know, some of the decisions that, that we're faced with because of what we're trying to keep 
and uh, as a priority or what we're trying to hold sacred. And so we hope that um, parents can hear that commitment come through that if it were your child in this class, I would be advocating for them to get reading and math every day. And so um, just, you know, help us as we try and do this for everybody. So some of those things are tough, I think, but, um, you know, just want parents to know that we really share the same goals. Yeah. yeah. And, and to keep into perspective, like with anything, you're only going to see things from your angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know, right? we've heard truth with mm-hmm. the middle and all of these things, but being able to, to have that open mind mm-hmm. and realize that, goodness, as much as our kids are our world, there are so many students here, right? Mm-hmm. Between 11 and mm-hmm. 1200. Mm-hmm. So your job is, is very difficult in, in making sure um, that we are reaching every single one. Nobody is left behind while at the same time, um, it, it, protecting them and mm-hmm. still making them a priority in their education, which is mm-hmm. is why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that something that I have seen you do is bring back a balance within the classroom mm-hmm. to where there is, yes, the priority in education and in learning and in growth, but there is also the ability to let's bring in some fun and let's allow these kids to engage in a way mm-hmm. that will help them remember. And mm-hmm. um, has that always been something that has been a priority for you as far as the balance? No, I think a couple of different things have, have shaped that. Um, I, I spent a little season working in turnaround work, which is where um, schools are um, have surrendered their charter to the state because they're not being effectively run for whatever number of years in a row that they were in the bottom percentile of the state. And, in that environment, um, we, we didn't feel like we had time for anything but academics, you know, like the, the consequences of not, and really the, the cost of it all was so urgent and so dire that um, you needed to learn so much so quickly, you know, we, we fought to protect that. Um, but even in that work, there was the thing in me that, you know, wanted more, wanted field trips, wanted more memory making, whatever. Um, and some of the best schools that I have worked in have done a really good job of balancing and protecting both because you want to keep the main things the main things. I feel like kids learn best when they are emotionally safe and their brains are um, psychologically freed up to learn because they've experienced emotional safety. And I think you experience emotional safety in places that are warm and welcoming and you belong and you connect. And if, that, if those are going to be true, then we have to have classrooms that are warm and welcoming and provide for connection and joy. Um, I think elementary, should, elementary school should be a place that you make a lot of memories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on Friday, we had the alphabet parade here, which, um, you know, it was a chance. The kindergartners had finished studying all of the letters at this point in the semester. And so they each got to pick their favorite letter and decorate it and make it into some kind of little hidden thing. My own son's J was a jaguar. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they just paraded them down the hallway. But uh, it was so special to see how the say the fifth graders outside of their classroom were, um, they were just chanting the alphabet at them and really getting into it, hooping and hollering, cheering for them, high-fiving, dancing even. And, um, you know, my own kid was like telling somebody about it this weekend. And he said, we got to go everywhere, even to the fifth grade hall. And, you know, (laughs) that it took, um, you know, 10 or 15 minutes out of our day. And of course, the teachers all had to get their kids settled back down and back into learning from whatever they were doing before they flooded the hallway. But um, but I, I think those things are worth it. And they're worth it for us to at least try. And even if we don't get it right the first time that we, you know, throw a picnic or do an, a pep rally or something, then we'll learn it for the next time. But 
I, I know the school should be warm and inviting and special, um, even as there are places that you spend enough time working to learn how to read and get all your math down and know all the things for science and social studies, um, that both of those, have, I think, have to be true. Yeah. Yeah, I love that so much. As a parent, um, I get to eat. Those are the stories that do matter, those core memories mm-hmm. that you are building um, and there's so much that goes around. I know for, for my child and um, who's in fourth grade, the teachers that he has this year, there are so many. It's not just about friends that are in the class. It's not just about how um, cool his, his, his homeroom teacher is. Mm-hmm. It's about the little things that they're doing to intentionally guide them in a way that allows the material to stick mm-hmm. and, um, and and sees, hey, if, if we're getting rowdy, this is a fun way to bring them back, and then mm-hmm. we're going to get right back into it. And yeah. I love that, all of those things. Now, we I know that as a parent, there have been times that, even if it's with my older son, there have been issues that have arisen that you need to address. Mm-hmm. I know typically there is a proper chain of command. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way that you would say is best if a, if a parent um, or a guardian has an issue within the school walls? Yeah. Um, how would how would you al- like them to address that? Yeah. Well, I would always hope that the the parent would feel most comfortable going to the teacher first, you mm-hmm. know, and being able to express something around um, what they, you know, something that they expected is not really what they've experienced and they want to bring that to light and be able to talk about it, then I think the teacher is the place to start. Um, here at East Brainerd, we have um, an assistant principal who's over kindergarten through second grade and one who's over third through fifth grade. And so they're typically in the next place that parents go. And that's just because they know, uh, they shepherd those grade levels. They know those teachers the best. They know those kids the best, you know, and so they are most closely connected to what's happening there and, and um, have relationships with those parents. Um, and so they, they tend to resolve a lot of those situations. Um, sometimes if it, if, if it doesn't get resolved, you know, I'm happy to step in to, you know, have a conversation or be there to support. Um, and so that, that's kind of the funnel. And then at some point, if somebody's super not happy with us, you know, then they go to my boss and then they also try to work through it. And, you know, from time to time that happens and, and you need, you need that sometimes where there's somebody else who can weigh in. And so, um, we try to provide that at several levels there, but, um, we do hope that parents feel comfortable going to a teacher and if not, that they know the assistant principal and know who they can call and have a connection with. Yeah. That's awesome. Do y'all, and make them clear are they as visible as you are or is that the goal for for all of your administrative team Mm -hmm. that would probably be the goal we um everybody kind of has their own lanes that they shepherd Mm -hmm. um you know and so some of those mean that they're more visible than others so the person who does car line or dub buses you know might be more than than somebody else uh, or certain, the person who does buses is really visible to the bus drivers, uh, but maybe not to the parents who are at the front, you know? <laughs> so it, it just depends, but they, they definitely are boots on the ground type leaders who are really, um, in the weeds, you know, around the kids, working with teachers really carefully, everything, yeah. I love that so much. It's, it matters who you get to work with, mm-hmm. who you surround with, mm-hmm. and um, knowing that you have their back and they have yours and yeah. that things are, as many of you have individual goals, I'm sure mm-hmm. you are still aiming towards the one overall mm-hmm. goal for mm-hmm. your school, and um, which is important. If there is someone that is maybe in a classroom right now as a teacher, um, and they are thinking after hearing this, ooh, leadership may be for me, what advice um, or next steps would you encourage them to take? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I would encourage them to, you know, begin to take on some of those roles that teacher leaders can take on. Um, begin to sort of think about the things that leaders do. How do you do that in the role that you're in? How do you um, build trust? How do you steward relationships? How do you navigate conflict? You know, all the things that good leaders need to do well, you probably need to be doing well in the role that you're in, you know? And so um, finding ways um, to work on those things, um, but also to get feedback and say, you know, what things would I need to work on if one day I wanted to coach teachers? What things would I need to know if one day I wanted to lead curriculum or lead a school? You know, um, we have several different people in our building now who are in the um, mentorship programs in the district who, you know, a um, couple here who are getting licensure and so meet with us as mentors, but then also others who are in our district. Um, they're called the lead programs where they're aspiring for a certain position. And so um, which is great because we always need people growing and training and developing pipelines. Um, we just had two student teachers who they graduate at the end of this week and they are employed here for, for the wow. rest of the year. And so we're happy to just build that pipeline of, you know, learn to be a teacher here, be a teacher here, be a leader here. You know, all those things are great. That's great. And yes, and selfishly, like, let's keep them there, <laughs> right? So we train them well. Same. Yeah. That's awesome. And is there anything that you would say, um, as far as responsibilities that you have here is your greatest joy? Um, I think when, maybe it's because it's, it's fresh on my mind. Oh, what is my greatest joy in this work? Besides a really efficient car line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I, I do derive a lot of joy from. Um, I, I, I can think of just several students where um, it's when things finally click, not in an academic way, but we have a kid who's going through something. Um, you know, home life is rocky, or there's the loss of a family member, or um, something big has changed in their life. It rocks their little world. And they rock their classroom. <laughs> um, and it means that usually we have to kind of come around and say, what does this kid need from us right now? Um, where are there gaps in what, you know, we're providing or what society is providing for this kid? And, you know, we have a number of people here from counselors and social workers and um, student support coaches who, who know them well and can say like, you know, I've noticed this, I've noticed that. And so when we see kids come out on the other side of that and they're, they're cared for and they're stable and they're learning and they're starting to come every day knowing that they can do it and um, I'm thinking of two students who just this past student of the month celebration got student of the month for our trait for aspiration, which the, our aspiration statement is I'm always improving. Um, and for both of their little um, smiling faces that I can picture right now, it's um, it's knowing that they've rounded a corner, but that we've had a number of people here who have been on their team and rooting for them who helped them round that corner um, in the best ways possible that a school like should exist for that kid. And so um, some of those are, are really, really special. And so there was a meeting the other day where we were thinking of some of our students that are in it right now, mm -hmm. that are currently in the thick of some kind of crisis in their life. But it also led us to then after that, talking about it, some students who, well, remember how so-and-so was in kindergarten? Do you remember the first grade version of so-and-so? And all these kids that we could say, and look at how well so-and-so is doing now. And look at how well his fifth grade year is going. And so many students that we could say, you know, and that helps you believe um, believe in the, in the process of it, right? It's even, you know, as a person of faith, when you look at all the 
Ebenezer's of God's faithfulness, it restores your faith, you know, and being able to say, look at all these things where it's come through. And so when we look at our kids and we say, look at all these kids that have come through and we'll, this will happen again for this kid. We're going to figure out what it is. You know, we're not there yet, but we're going to figure out what it is that can help us in that moment when it starts to get, um, you know, really frustrating or really burnt out on, on something. There is that hope. Yeah, absolutely. And that constantly kind of almost renewed, right? Yes, yes. That's awesome. I love that. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for being a part of Heather's Most Precious today and, and giving us just a glimpse at um, at your role and responsibilities and, and the good things that you are able to do, not just for your elementary school, but here in our community. Yeah, thank you for having me. If there's anything I want people to leave with, it's to support your local public school because they are the future of your society. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Heather's Most Precious is brought to you with love by the Hendrickson Agency, an insurance agency serving all of Georgia and Tennessee. The Hendrickson Agency, properly protecting your most precious possessions. Support for Heather's Most Precious is provided by Study.com, which offers SAT and ACT study materials and even has resources for AP and college credit courses. Listeners of Heather's Most Precious get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level with offer code PRECIOUS. Just go to Study.com and use offer code PRECIOUS at checkout. Heather's Most Precious is produced by Chattanooga Podcast Studios and is part of the Podnooga Network. Find out more at ChattanoogaPodcastStudios.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Heather's Most Precious. Proud member of the Podnooga Network.